Welcome to Bullhorn Bible Study, where we are taking a closer look at some of the most used and misused Bible verses and sayings around. Today we're looking at Jeremiah 29:11, which is practically the poster child for Bible verses that you put on a coffee mug. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. This is one of my favorites, and not in a I love it when other people use it kind of way, but in an I use this all the time and I cling to it kind of way. But I haven't always clung to it in quite the right way. Much like our saying from last week, God will never give you more than you can handle, people often look to Jeremiah 29:11 in search of hope and comfort with the inadvertent result of it sending them further away from God in disappointment and disillusionment. I remember looking at that verse and going, okay, if I just trust God, then he's going to make my life turn out great. You know, the money will come, the relationship will get easy. All I have to do is trust and he'll fix it. He'll make it all go away and I'll live happily ever after. And then I didn't. The money didn't come or the relationship didn't get any easier. And I found myself wondering what had gone wrong. Was Did God not care about me? Was the Bible wrong? Did it get lost in translation over all these years? Or worse, was God just a liar? No, no, and no. Last week, we talked about some of the different ways that Bible verses and sayings can be misused. They can be misquoted, they can be taken out of context, or just plain made up and used so often that they become real. Last week, our saying was a fun combination of all three. But Jeremiah 29:11 is actually in the Bible and quoted correctly, but it's often taken out of context. Are you familiar with the term text tone? You know, it's when you send an email or a text and the person receiving it takes it the wrong way because they didn't catch your tone. Like you're trying to be funny and it comes across as rude. <laughs> Thank goodness for the invention of emojis. I'm pretty sure that God inspired the creator of emojis to save relationships in the digital age. He did the same thing for us by giving us the entire Bible and not just a bunch of isolated statements. The Bible is rich and full and contrary to popular belief, pretty reliable. And just like in texting, there are some verses in the Bible that can stand alone regardless of tone. If you send the text, I love you, you don't need a whole lot of tone. That is what it is. There's no question of that. It's the same thing in the Bible. There are some verses that stand on their own. Like when Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's pretty clear. But there are other verses in the Bible that require context to understand them. And Jeremiah 29, 11 is one of them. So we need to take a look at the tone or the context. So let's take a look. This verse is found within the book of Jeremiah, which is in the Old Testament. Jeremiah was a prophet. Now let's just detour for a second and talk about what it means to be a prophet. A prophet is someone who is called by God and whom God speaks to and reveals 
his words so that the prophet will tell them to God's people. The Bible gives examples of prophets all throughout both the Old Testament and the New Testament, and there are prophets still today. The Bible also talks about the fact that there are going to be true prophets and false prophets. In Matthew 24, 24, it says, For false messiahs and false prophets will appear and perform great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. So there are both kinds in the Bible and, frankly, around today. They said and they will say that they speak on behalf of God. So that might make you wonder, well, how are you supposed to know the difference between the two? How do we know that Jeremiah is legit? Well, we're not the first ones to ask that question, and God answered it way back in the very beginning in Deuteronomy 18.21. You may say to yourselves, how can we know when a message has not been spoken by the Lord? If what a prophet proclaims in the name of the Lord does not take place or come true, that is a message the Lord has not spoken. That prophet has spoken presumptuously, so do not be alarmed. Which means that we need to hold the words of prophets very carefully and make sure to compare them to the facts, especially as it relates to the Bible. If a prophet says that they have a word from God, but it contradicts with what the Bible says, we know that that is a false prophet. Likewise, if a prophet says something and it doesn't come true, that's another way to determine that they are false. But in the case of Jeremiah, what he prophesied about actually came true. And we're going to look at that in just a minute. So Jeremiah was a prophet. He was called by God and given a word for God's people. But he was not a popular prophet because the people did not really care for what Jeremiah was saying. It wasn't comfortable. See, Jeremiah was Jewish and he was living in Jerusalem and he was writing to the Israelites, who were also Jewish, who were exiled in Babylon. Now, unless you're an Old Testament scholar, you might have just heard me say something someone wrote to a bunch of people in the place where they babbled. Or at least that's basically what I got the first time I read it. But let's take a closer look. Jeremiah lived and prophesied about 600 years before Jesus was born. He was called by God and given these words to share with the Israelites during a seriously rough time of their lives. The Israelites were God's people and their home was in Jerusalem. But around the year 587 BC, Jerusalem was overtaken by the Babylonian king, whose name was Nebuchadnezzar, and it was almost completely destroyed. Their homes, their temple were all demolished. And the majority of Israelites were sent to live in exile in Babylon, which was a major metropolitan city far from home. Only a few Israelites were allowed to remain in Jerusalem to tend the land, and Jeremiah was one of them. So when Jeremiah was writing to the Israelites, he was at home, and they were exiled among strangers far from their heart's home, and they were longing to go back. In a, I'm not too sure how my brain made this sleep, but it works for me, parallel kind of way, the Israelites' experience and where they were reminds me of how I felt when I threw my best friend a baby shower. Full disclosure, I am secretly super awkward in group settings. Small talk sometimes, I don't know what to do with small talk and I get really uncomfortable and nervous. Now, 
I can usually fake my way through it because I love people and so I want to make other people feel comfortable so I can usually make my way through. But it's still, internally, I'm just like, ew, the whole time. Not to mention that, I'm also kind of intimidated by women because women, you know, can be kind of intimidating. Well, maybe you don't know. If you're a woman, you know what I'm talking about. If you're a man, you're like, what? But don't worry, hang in there. I sit through football analogies all the time, the sermons, still figure out the message. So stick with me, we'll get it together. So hosting, I'm co-hosting with one of my best friends, local friends, who is weirdly snarky and mean to me. And I'm like, what is happening? I don't even know you, but she was something. I don't know what's happening, but she was not very kind or nice. And my best friend was completely checked out because surprise, she had her babies a month early, which happened to be two days before her baby shower. So the day of the party arrives and I go over to this local friend's house to do the things, you know, do the decorations and all this stuff. And I'm trying to do these things, clothes, pins, I don't know, the things you do in baby showers. And this local snarky friend is hanging out in the kitchen with her best friend and they're just like giving me sidelong glances and like whispering, I'm pretty sure about me in the kitchen and I am just dying. And then ding dong, all of a sudden the doorbell starts ringing and all these women, I don't know, start coming into this party and I am just like, I don't want to be here. And I'm a little embarrassed to admit it, but I hid in the bathroom for way longer than is socially acceptable. I just sat in there and I just, I was just waiting for it to be over. I was far from home. I was surrounded by strangers who weren't necessarily nice to me. And I just, I didn't want to be there. I just wanted to get out of there. And so I just kind of hid. And that's kind of what the Israelites were doing at the time when Jeremiah wrote this letter to them with the prophecy from God, but obviously in much deeper and more serious ways. The Israelites were far from home because they'd been forced to leave their home. They, had, they were carrying with them the burden of the memory of seeing their homes destroyed. So this was very deep and they were sad and in despair and they were just waiting for God to rescue them and take them back home. This is the setting in which Jeremiah wrote the words of 2911. And while they do offer hope, it's not exactly the hope that the Israelites were expecting. To fully understand the context, we need to go back a few verses to the beginning of the chapter. And it says this, this is what the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of Israel, says to all the captives he has exiled to Babylon from Jerusalem. Build homes and plan to stay. Plant gardens and eat the food they produce. Marry and have children. Then find spouses for them so that you may have many grandchildren. Multiply, do not dwindle away, and work for the peace and prosperity of the city where I sent you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, for its welfare will determine your welfare. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. 
the Israelites were under the impression that they were not going to be exiled in Babylon for very long. They thought that God was going to rescue them within a couple of years and that they would get to go back to Jerusalem and live in prosperity. And because of that, they were spending their time the way I was hiding in the bathroom at that shower. They were just killing time and just waiting for God to rescue them and take them to the place where they would be able to prosper. But God had other plans and he shared those plans through the prophet Jeremiah. He told them that they were going to be in Babylon, exiled in Babylon for 70 years, which meant that the majority of people who would have been hearing God's words through Jeremiah would not live to see it. So their idea of happiness, their idea of prosperity was never going to come to fruition in their lives. So then what did God mean when he said what he said in verse 11? What did he mean to the Israelites and what is it saying to us? To understand, it's time to get all wordy nerdy and dig into the words Jeremiah 29 11. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. We put so much emphasis and expectation on that word prosper, but what does that word really mean? If you go back and look at the original Hebrew, it actually, that word for prosper right there means shalom, which it might be familiar to you. It's used often as a, saying, a way of saying peace, but it's, it's deeper than just peace. It means wholeness. It's, it's the wellness of your soul. It has nothing to do with external happiness, the material comforts and your health, and has everything to do with what's internal. It's the well-being of your soul. God promises that his people will get to go home. It's the long-term plan. But there's more to it than that. It's not just about what is to come. It's also what can happen and how we might live in exile when we are far from home. Let's take a look back at verse 4. Verse 4 says to build homes and plan to stay, dig gardens and eat the food they produce, marry and have children, find spouses for them so that you might have grandchildren, work for the peace and the prosperity of the city where I've sent you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, for its welfare will determine your welfare. The people were encouraged to dig in where they were. It wasn't going to be easy. There was going to be hardship and their hearts were going to ache to be home. But there was prosperity to be found within their time in exile. It's like God is saying, this is not your home, but you can experience and taste wholeness. While your body might suffer, your soul can be well. Jeremiah's words have just as much relevancy for us as they did for the Israelites living in Babylon. We too are people living far from our heart's home. Our home is with God in heaven where there is no sadness, sickness, or evil. And we know this to be true anytime we bump up against something like loneliness or disappointment or any of the ick in the world. You see, God promises us that through Jesus, if we accept him as our Lord and Savior, he promises us that he will bring us home. 
that when we physically die, our souls won't die too, that we get to live in heaven with him at home. But until then, we are in exile while we are here on earth. And God is saying, I want you to do more than just exist and waiting to go home. I want you to pursue the well-being of your soul right where you are. The promise of Jeremiah 29 is that you can experience shalom in the midst of a broken life and world. So what does that look like for us? Well, the best example I can give you is of something I witnessed many years ago. I was at the funeral of a young girl. She was 19 years old and she had been killed in a car accident. It was awful and it was tragic. And I was sitting there during the funeral service and they started playing worship music. And I watched as this girl's mother got up in this church service and she lifted her hands to God and she just surrendered. What she was doing was was so apparent that it was almost palpable. You could tell, you knew that she was devastated and hurting and yet she was there surrendering her life and her pain to God. There was, there was this sense, you could, almost, you could feel it, that she trusted God and she believed in his goodness, even in the midst of her pain. It was one of the most humbling moments I have ever experienced and I carry it with me to this day. And in my life, when I bump up against pain or hardship in, for, in form like that, I remember that. And I remember that I need to surrender to Jesus in the midst of it, that I need to trust that he is good and he is true and that he has a plan for me and that he within that plan is the prosperity of my soul, that even in the midst of hardship, I can experience the well-being of my soul. Revelation 21.4 says, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. That's where the plan ends. That's the long-term plan. And the short term? Well, let's take a quick look at 2 Corinthians 4.17-18. It says this, We're not giving up. How could we? Even though on the outside it often looks like things are falling apart on us, on the inside where God is making new life, not a day goes by without his unfolding grace. These hard times are small potatoes compared to the coming good times, the lavish celebration prepared for us. There's far more here than meets the eye. The things we see now are here today, gone tomorrow. But the things we can't see now will last forever. The world is broken. And because of this, we are going to bump up against its brokenness. It can and will impact our external experience. But God's promise is that it does not have to impact our internal prosperity, the well-being of our souls. Here's a few questions to ponder as we wrap up this week's study. What kind of prosperity have you been pursuing? Have you been pursuing external prosperity, the happiness of this life, the things of it, this world? Or have you been pursuing the internal? Are you pursuing the well-being of your soul? 
How is your soul? Take a check. See where you're at. Bring it to God and let him tell you and show you what's going on because you might discover that there are places where you are bumping up against the reality that you are not in your heart's home. What are those places? And then do you believe God is true and good and able to provide for the well-being of your soul in the midst of this life? And the last one is, where do you need God to care for you right now and today? I truly believe that God is able and willing to provide for your soul in the midst of this life right here, right now, if you will just trust him to do so. My name is Jody Sweet, and this has been Bullhorn Bible Study. We'll see you next time.